And if you don't have your Bibles, you'll see the scripture printed on the back of your sermon outline, which you can use to take notes if you like. I also have uh, written down Psalm 39, 12, and 13, which we will reference a little later in the message. So hear the word of God from this marvelous psalm written after Israel's exile, after their return back to their homeland. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Amen. So far the reading of God's word. I don't cry a lot. I don't know about you, that I find in my own life that tears are relatively infrequent. I don't cry a lot. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because crying is painful. At least it is for me. It's actually physically painful. You feel the, the lump in your throat rising. You feel your whole body affected. I don't, I don't weep a lot. Last Sunday, I wept. We were singing together in church, and we sang one of those great hymns. And when we sang the words, I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? I Just as I was singing it, it rose up inside of me and the tears just came out. I knew, I just that was that work of God's Spirit that was saying, Do you understand how desperately, John, you need my presence every hour? And I was saying, Yes, Lord, I do know how much I need it. And the temptations of the devil are too strong for me in my flesh. I need you, Lord. And I was weeping. I was standing here and and weeping. And then again, a second time during the video, I wept. But that's relatively uncommon for me. One person I was with this week, we were talking about it as men, do we weep very much? And uh, he was of the mind that he was more emotionally constipated but he said, but my mother is emotionally incontinent, he said. <laughs> and, 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 they, and he said, and people are very different. Some of us rarely weep. Others of us weep frequently. But all of us have sorrows. And that's what's going on here. All of us have sorrows that run deep in our souls. How do you handle your sorrows? Two of my teachers, David Paulison and Tim Keller, they, they both talk about how the Psalms in the Bible, the book of Psalms, give us 
the gospel third way between religious stuff. You know, religious people can sometimes have little religious prayers and forms that actually stuff our emotions down, that don't let us express our emotions. We use religion because religious people often don't like that expression of emotion. Or secular people on the far other side who say, learn to blurt your emotions. Just let it come out and let it splash wherever it will. And, and, and that in and of itself makes you an authentic person. But the Psalms give us this authentic third way a gospel way to process your emotions before God. A lot of religion, actually, whether it's non-Christian religions or even Christian traditions, are not willing to face how deep and dark and real are the emotions in our souls. And so we have before us what are called lamentation psalms. They're a package of psalms that anticipate the fact that we grieve and sometimes we need to grieve and, yes, even weep. Now, this psalm, Psalm 126, is a marvelous psalm. It's laid out in three parts. And if you move through the first three verses, what you see is the song of the redeemed. People, they were in Babylon in captivity, and God did an amazing thing. He brought them back home. He delivered them from captivity. And, he, and when they got there, they were so happy. He said, we were giddy like we were dreaming. It is so wonderful, this deliverance from captivity. And of course, this is a picture of the Christian life. The Bible teaches us that the Old Testament deliverances are pictures of our salvation, really. We were captive to sin. We were destined and doomed to death. And God saved us, brought us home. And if you were converted recently or later in life, you remember that joy where you pinch yourself. Really? Full atonement? Can it be? Hallelujah! What a Savior! And there is that joy in your own salvation. And we have that. And, 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 and the nations looked and they said, God has done great things for them. And your neighbors and friends and family, they say, wow, you're a different person. You have joy. You have hope. And it's true. However, this psalm then sort of turns a corner in verse 4. And suddenly, even though they were blessed with salvation, <laughs> life is still a struggle. Restore our fortunes. And it talks about being in the Negev. And if you've been to Israel, I haven't. I wish I could go someday. But the Negev is a desert. And it's barren. And so even though they've been redeemed and brought home... Yet, yet there is, life is still a struggle for them. It's not, everything is not smiling on them. And that's true in the Christian life. Acts 14.22, the Apostle Paul says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We are already saved, but not yet in fullness. And we live in this time of tension. And so there is present distress. That's verse 4. And then finally in verses 5 and 6, the psalmist makes us a promise. 
and he says that the present distress should not be viewed as though it's going to last forever. It's not the end. And he uses this beautiful agricultural metaphor. This, you go forth sowing your tears, you sow your tears, but you will reap with joy. The, the summer is going to come, and there will be a harvest of joy. There will be a harvest of joy. And so there is a progression and a movement, mysterious and different in different lives. But this guarantee that ultimately you will return with songs of joy. So I'm just going to ask today this question, what do you do with your tears? And you see three things on your outline. You should expect your tears to come. You should sow your tears and you should pray your tears. And the Psalms give us permission and show us how to do these things. So point number one, I think it does teach that even though God is in your life, and even though you might be walking with God, you should still expect tears. Now somebody says, Pastor John, I didn't get out of bed and come here this morning and sit in this church so that you would tell me I'm going to have more tears in this life. I came here to be encouraged. And I thought that if I'm a good little boy or girl, if I try hard to be a good Christian, then I'm going to have a problem-free life. It sounds like bad news to me. Well, if you think that, you have believed a Christian myth. That Christian myth that if I try hard to be a good little Christian, then I'm going to have a problem-free life. No, it just may be that Jesus was telling the truth in John 6 when he said, In this world, you will have tribulation. That's why he came to do something about it, and he says, be of good cheer. But he says, you will have tribulation. And why Paul told the church, that first century church, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So you have to expect your tears. We uh, have been learning some songs by a woman named Laura Story. And she's a wonderful songwriter in one of our sister churches and she says this in the chorus of her song, Blessings. She says, Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know that you are near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? You know, some... Sometimes we think, if I'm just good, no problem will happen to me. But God might want you to go through a trial that grieves you. What do you think? Well, there was one perfect human heart. He walked the earth 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus Christ. And what does Isaiah 53 tell us about Jesus Christ? He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And so if anyone would live a problem-free life, you would think he would, but know that he is what he is called, a man of sorrows. And we are called in some strange, mysterious way that we still enter into his sufferings, and we have tears. I have tears. I remember still 
the last prayer meeting, Wednesday night prayer meeting that Galen Collins had in our church before he moved away. And it's another, another person moving away. One of my closest prayer partners and colleagues in the church. I just cried. I remember Ann and Lou, your last prayer meeting, the last Wednesday night that you labored in prayer. We're so glad you're here visiting us today. But I cried in that prayer meeting because another friend is moving away. So expect tears. But this leads us to point number two, that you sow your tears. And I use this term because it's the agricultural metaphor that speaks of investing, of planting. Those who sow in tears will return with songs of joy. And we're supposed to learn something from this. Remember, religious people, they, they stuff their tears by religious activity. Secular people just vent them and dump them. But the third way is to sow them as though your own emotions are processed before God. And in time, they are going to, they're, you're going to grow through them. There's a, a book I once saw. It's called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. book's okay, but the, the title is fantastic. Don't Waste Your Sorrows. It says that you don't avoid them or you don't dump them. You invest them like you do with your money and you expect a return from them. Psalm 30, verse 5, a great verse. It says, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Last week, Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord all night long. I wait, I wait, I wait. Like watchmen wait for the morning, but the morning will come. This is deep stuff. 2 Corinthians 4.17 teaches us, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Apparently, the affliction that makes you cry, or at least gives you that knot in the pit of your stomach, that affliction is actually something God says you need in order to become the person He wants you to be. Christine Anchundia said to me yesterday, she said, It's usually the case that God wounds you before he uses you. And in my own life, it's been true. Why? Because of my pride, because of my unbelief, because of my my sensual self-indulgence, God has to humble me and root me and root those things out of me, and he does it in humbling ways. It's deep stuff. But the kind of joy that you really need is a product of tears. Now, how does this happen? How do I do this? At a very mundane level, I was thinking, where have I been transformed by tears? I'll just tell you one. It's not very spiritual. But probably the most tears I cried this year was when my dog, Charcoal, died a couple weeks ago. And, oh, you know, my best friend for 13 years always forgives, always love, all loves, always eager to greet me. And we had to put her down. And I just sobbed. And I cried. I missed her. And I still miss her. Sometimes it comes like waves, you know. But you know what's happened to me? I actually love dogs more. 
than I used to. And I'm out for a walk, and somebody's walking with a dog, and their dog comes and greets me, and there's now something inside of me that just delights in the dog. And what's happened? Through my tears, somehow God has just done a little tiny change in my soul, in my attitude, in my heart. But, but if you see... I have I had sown those tears, and now they're coming back to me. And, and uh, yeah, invite me over just to play with your dog sometime. I'd love that. But how does this happen? Too, in, in more mature ways. I remember about six years ago, Anne Marquez called me on the telephone. And she's crying. And she's crying because there are children in the world who are uncared for and who do not have an advocate. She says, my heart is broken. There does not seem to be enough people out there who will protect innocent children. What should I do about it? I said, you should go to law school and become a child advocate lawyer. And she said, that's what I'm thinking. And she did. And God bless her husband and her family as she struggled through going back through graduate school, taking the bar exam, then finding a job. But today, through her tears, on the other side of her tears, has emerged an advocate for children, caring for them here in New York and a vision for around the world. You see, she sowed her tears and there's joy being reaped on the other side of them. Where is that true in your life? Pay attention as you invest your tears. And here's how you do it. You do it, third point, as you pray your tears. See, that's the third way. And that's what the Psalms are there to equip us to do. How do you pray your tears? Here's how you pray your tears. And it's, it's, in, it's hidden in the Old Testament, explicit in the New Testament, but it's in our passages today. Number one, you first pray your tears with a realization of God's grace, and then you pray your tears with a vision of His cross, and you pray your tears with an assurance of His glory. And this is how you do it so that you don't have to be like, like the religious person who stuffs your emotions or like uh, the, the secular person who just vents and dumps them. What do you do? You pray them. Now, I draw your attention to Psalm 39, the last two verses, another lament psalm, which is one of the more difficult lament psalms to process. It's one of these white-hot psalms where the writer is very dissatisfied with life. And so there's anguish in the psalm. Now, I prefer, like Psalm 17, life is hard, life is hard, life is hard, and then at the end of Psalm 17, it says, but in your presence is fullness of joy. I like that. That's where you end, you know, and you end with joy. But at the end of Psalm 39, he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien and a stranger as all my fathers were. And now look at verse 13. Look away from me that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. I don't, and I think, what's that doing in my Bible? 
That's not the way you're supposed to talk to God. It's almost rude. Look away from me. I'm done with you, God. It's the opposite of what you would think you should say to God. But the great Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner is very helpful in his comments on this passage. Here's what he says. He says this, The prayer, look away from me, makes no more sense than Peter's New Testament statement, depart from me. Does anybody remember where Peter said that? After Jesus displays his glory, all of a sudden Peter says, Get away from me, Jesus! Which is really the opposite of what you think he would say. <laughs> You'd think he would say, Wow, you're the one I want to be with. But he says, Depart from me. And, and, and here's what Derek Kidner says. What the Lord does is he ignores the plea of Peter in Luke 5. And he shows us that the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to his understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. That really helped me. It blows my mind. That the very reason verse 13 is in Psalm 39 is to show me that God knows and he, by the Holy Spirit who inspired all of Scripture, put it there so that we would know he understands how, how you speak, how you think, how you feel when you are desperate. And that it's safe because God is gracious. Because of his grace, it's safe to be honest with God. We said last week, studying Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Did you hear that? I cry to you, O Lord. Too often we want a nice manicured, well-composed prayer. And the psalmist says, just cry. Just cry out to me, says God. Okay? Because it's safe. He's a God of grace. So you first have to have this realization. Otherwise, you'll say, I shouldn't feel like this and I can't really be honest with God. The, Steve Brown, who is an interesting, interesting pastor and radio personality, whenever he would be counseling people or talking about helping people, <laughs> he would do something that would sometimes drive me crazy or at least make me a little nervous. He would pray and he would begin his prayer like this as he's praying with somebody who's going through a really hard time. He would say, God, you would have more friends if you treated the ones you already have a little better. Well, it might be irreverent in some sense, but in another sense, what's he doing? He's crying out like the guy who said, depart from me and turn your face from me. God, this is really hard. That's where you start. It's not where you finish. It's never where Steve Brown finished. But you are safe. Realize God's grace when you are honest about your emotions. Some of us had parents who never let us express our emotions. Oh, look, boys don't cry. Big girls don't cry. Is that on, broad, on uh, Jersey boys? You know, Big girls don't cry. You shouldn't feel that way. 
Yeah, maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Where is it safe to be honest? The only place it's safe is with God. Secondly, then, you plant your tears with a vision of his cross. And this really flows right out of the same point. See, why is God so understanding? Who is this God, again, Derek Kidner, who, who understands my cry of dereliction? Who's a, what's a derelict? A derelict is a homeless person whose life is a mess. They are just a mess. Who is this God who understands people who are a mess? Well, we have the only God who claims that he became a man of sorrows, who became acquainted with grief, and who was sorrowful to the point of death. Our God, through his Son, God the Son, knows what it is to experience, to look to heaven and find heaven shut. It happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't it? To our Savior Jesus Christ. He knows what it's like to look to heaven and feel nothing. He knows what it's like to look to heaven and feel forsaken. To be the derelict one. Jesus was on the cross. And he says, why have you forsaken me? Because he is forsaken. But he was forsaken so that you never will be forsaken. Do you understand you will never be forsaken. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And through his death on the cross, he now has opened the way to the bosom of the Father. You can come to the Father. Here's the point. If you pray your tears, God, I'm a mess, I'm sad, but you have a sense of the cross, it will change the way you even look at your sorrows. Yes, you're still weeping, but now you say, but Lord, you suffered so much for me. And somehow, you are in this with me. And I'll tell you what happens when you pray your tears with a vision of the cross. It begins to erase your self-pity. Some of us are quite skilled at self-pity. And self-pity is ugly. Self-pity See, you can have tears. You can have tears. You can weep. Jesus wept all the time. It's not wrong to weep. But self-pity makes you a small and unpleasant person to be around. It does. You get touchy. Everybody's against me. And then people don't want to be around you. But when you pray your sorrows with a vision of the cross, Jesus begins to transform you, and you, you see that he loved you. He won't forsake you. And, and even there in the middle of the cauldron and the turmoil of your life, you say, Lord, you are with me. And even if you say, why me? It's still not with self-pity. Because you know the Lord is for you. And he will take care of you. So, Plant your tears in a realization of his grace. Plant your tears in a vision of his cross. Why? He was, he, God departed from him at the cross so that he would never depart from you. That is to your advantage. And then lastly, you plant your tears in an assurance of his glory. And this takes us back to Psalm 126 at the end. For those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. 
They don't say, he who goes out might return. It doesn't say those who go out might return with songs of joy. It says those who go out and sow with tears will return with songs of joy. And you can know this. You can believe this. You know, in the book of Psalms, and sometime in January, we get to the last five psalms. They're all praise. All the psalms of praise. And Eugene Peterson writes in his book on the psalms of how God answers prayers. He says, you know, all praying, all praying eventually ends in praise to God. Doesn't always start there, like with our friend Steve Brown. And you can't rush it. And some of you are going through things that make you weep and it goes for a long period of time. But, but it will end with joy. It will end with praise. Often in this life and absolutely in the next. You know that joy is coming. You see... Well, nobody put it better than C.S. Lewis when his wife died. And he said, Nobody told me that grief would be so much like fear. Because when you grieve, you worry that it's never going to end. And maybe that's why some of us don't weep and why we like to stuff our emotions because we, we're afraid it might never end. But the Bible tells us here in these verses they, you will return with songs of joy and it will come. And you are at least happy to know that the ending is coming and he will get glory out of your life. Are you persecuted? Do people pick on you because of your faith? Jesus says, for great is your reward in heaven. Have you lost your worldly goods? Are you teetering on bankruptcy? Have you experienced what it is to just lose big time uh, of, your, of your money and your stuff? Jesus says, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Are you mistreated unjustly and you have this temptation for revenge and yet you know the Bible says don't take revenge and you're, you're just crying because you've been so unfairly treated. And God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. It will all be worked out with justice in the end. And you may be killed for your faith. Oh, not us, but today in Syria, today in Indonesia, today in China, today in Egypt. There will be people put to death for their faith in the Lord. And even if you are killed for your faith, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors through Him. You know, there was this woman who came to the house of Simon the Pharisee. Do you remember her? What did she do? She barges into the party, weeping, and she falls at the feet of Jesus, and she washes his feet with what? Her tears. What did Simon, the host of the party, do? He condemns her. He dismisses her. He rebukes her. This is, 
This is undignified. But Jesus, Jesus commends her. Yeah, Jesus knows what it is. It's okay to weep because Jesus wept. And he welcomes her. And because you know these three things, you can weep too. You have permission to be honest with God about your sorrows. And the Psalms will speak your words for you to the Father. And he will receive them because he's a God of grace. Because he's the God of the cross. And because he's the God of joy. And when you get to heaven, there will be no more tears of the last century. Two centuries ago, Octavius Winslow. I Listen to this as we finish. In heaven there will be no more tears. It is tearless because it is sorrowless. It is sorrowless because it is sinless. It is sinless because it is the dwelling place of the Holy Lord God and of the spirit of just men made perfect. How magnificent is the description. For God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, nor shall there be any pain. So you may weep now. And you are free in this church. If Tony or... Martin or somebody calls you to worship and says stand and sing with us and you say I feel like sitting and crying you sit and cry hopefully someone sitting sitting near you will notice come put their arm around you and comfort you I hope church let's always look for somebody who's crying here with us and you don't know what to do go get an elder or somebody but let, let people cry After church, if your heart is burdened and you need prayer, you come forward and let us share your suffering so that we can weep with those who weep. Because we will eventually rejoice with you and we will rejoice with those who rejoice. So let's pray together now, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for the one who wept, Jesus, at the grave of his friend Lazarus. And we praise you that one day there will be no more tears for us. Until that day, could we rest in your grace? Could we have a vision of your cross? Could we believe that you are going to bring joy again to us? And so pray our tears to you. Teach us these things, O Lord our God. Teach us. Thank you for the book of Psalms. The the divinely inspired way to grieve. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.